Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I'm going to do a final part three of a document read of the West Memphis Three case from the West Memphis Three case files. So I'm going to go through a number of the documents that I have that I think should be in the record. Uh, I will include in the show notes the part one and two, so you can go through all three if you're interested. And I'm going to cover... Just some notations about Damien Skulls, uh, a article about the Eccles family murder, which also which happened in 1994, same year they all three were convicted. I'm also going to read in an article called SK 931 about an article written and posted in the Ordo Templi Orientis uh, journal, and I'll include the date in that. Also, something about John Douglas that I wrote and then later put into my book abomination so this john douglas um article which is titled john douglas and the release of the west memphis three i will read which is part of my book like i said so i'll read that and i'll also include um some statements from eccles's book high magic just about what he knows how he got involved and his interest in magic and the order of the golden dawn and then also something dave mcgowan sent me back when he was still alive, so I'll read the totality. I've mentioned it in another art, uh, discussion, but I will read that in. And then also something from the, the case files. It's from uh, somebody who was kind of lived around that area. His name was Ricky Clymer, and it's just him talking to the police, but I will try to accurately transpose it. A lot of the, the statements made to the police by the younger people reflected kind of... Uh, blue-collar language. They, they talked in a not very uh, successfully verbal way. But So I'll try to read the climber, and I think it's important. He just talks about there's other people involved and what they were up to and uh, verifies some of the other stuff that Jesse Muskelly talked about and also Alvis Clem Bly. And uh, so here we go. So this first, first reading will be from, I think it's from Mark... Parasquia's book, um, which uh, he put out. So just one. One people who knew Eccles said he dressed in black, called himself Damien, and carried a cat skull at times, a spell book with him. And then also, uh, I think a question by a police to his mother was, I understand from other people that he may have animal skulls or something symbolism in this. And the response was, this animal skulls that he had when I lived at Lakeshore was just a skull that had been found laying by the side of the road. And then um, this is from uh, something posted June 5th, 1993, right after they were arrested. Mark Parasquia commercial appealed. Michael Wayne Eccles carried a cat school around with him at school and routinely dressed in black. A couple of years ago, he took to calling himself Damien, presumably after the Antichrist character popularized in a series of Hollywood movies. Eccles often bought a, brought a cat school to school sitting sullenly in classes while everyone else was working. He was just playing with that school. And then um, May 31st, 1993, Garrett Schwarting and Murray Ferris told police they had talked with Damien Eccles in Ferris's home. Two weeks after the murders where the strange teen told them some incredible stories. Eccles once placed gasoline on a cat, put a bottle rocket up its rear end and lit it. He also maintained a collection of animal schools and occult paraphernalia. And then uh, Fogelman, who was one of the prosecutors, asked Damien's mother, all right, do you know anything about Damien having cat schools? 
and carrying them around. Response was, it wasn't a cat school, it was a dog school. Okay, where was that? Response, Pam, it was hanging on my clothesline in the backyard where I made him leave it out there to dry before he carries it to school. So that's one. And then this is also, I think, from the Commercial Appeal. This is published Friday, September 30th, 1994. And it is, quote, the parents and sister of convicted child killer Damien Eccles have been subpoenaed as witnesses to a murder that happened earlier this month in Crittenden County, an official said Thursday. Joe Hutchison, 38, his wife Pam, 35, and their daughter Michelle, 17, was witnessed a shooting death September 9th on the banks of the Mississippi River as the family and others were gathered around a bonfire, said Crittenden County Sheriff's Office Investigator John L. Murray. The three Hutchison family members are expected to testify Monday at a probable cause hearing in West Memphis for Brian J. McFadden, 27, charged with capital murder for the death of Richard B. Ellison, 35. The family and some friends were roasting hot dogs near the foot of the Hernando de Soto Bridge at about 11 that night when a gun was fired during an apparent dispute between two members of their party, Murray said. The Hutchisons told investigators they heard a shot, turned and saw McFadden with a 22 caliber pistol in his hand as Ellison lay on the ground. Murray said he was alarmed to find that the Hutchisons at the crime, he was alarmed to find the Hutchisons at the crime scene. The family had appeared regularly on local television and in newspapers in March during Eccles' trial. Eccles, 19, was sentenced to death by lethal injection after juries found him and two other teenagers guilty of the 1993 murders of West Memphis 8-year-old Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Joe Hutchison and Officer Murray both testified at the trial in which prosecutors suggested that a belief in Satanism had influenced Eccles. Murray testified that Eccles had told him after an arrest in May 1992 that he was a white witch, but knew of a satanic cult that planned to visit West Memphis. Memories of the triple murder caused officers responding to the September 9th shooting to search the riverbank for graffiti and occult imagery, Murray said. When I found out who they were, that's what I started looking for, he said. I didn't find anything. And that was the commercial appeal, September 30th, 1994. Eccles Ken witnesses gun slaying. So a lot of people don't know about that story. And then this is from the OTO. This is a two-pager. And a lot of people don't know this. This is from the Agape. This is an important word for Crowley. And uh, the date of its publication was November 1st, 2006. Era vulgaris. Or what we would say AD. But uh, I do think it's interesting. And it just shows kind of um, attachment to Crowley's idea. Somebody I know unfortunately too much about. So, title is SK-931, An Introduction. I'd like to introduce you to our brother. The brother won't be in attendance at our Gnostic Mass. He won't be taking initiation. He won't be participating in the Rites of Soul Invictus Oasis, at least not for a good long while. Let me introduce you to Brother Damien Eccles, SK-931. I wish I could do so in person, but he's in prison right now on death row in Arkansas in an Arkansas field. He's been there for 13 years. Some of you have heard of him already. There have been books like Mara Leverett's Devil's Knot and two HBO documentaries, Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills, and Paradise Lost 2, Revelations. There are websites, the most well-known being, known being westmemphis3.org, which includes case information, document, and evidence archives and updates. For those who have not heard, West Memphis 3 is the media-given name for Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miskelly, the three teenagers that were convicted in 1993 EV for the horrific 
quote, satanic ritualistic homicide, unquote, of three eight-year-old boys in West Memphis, Arkansas. Though there was no conclusive evidence of their involvement, motive, murder weapon, ritual paraphernalia, or connection to any of the victims, all three were convicted based on Miss Kelly's confession, extracted after police held a mentally challenged 17-year-old with a documented IQ of just 72 for at least seven hours without parental or legal counsel. Less than an hour of the interrogation was actually recorded. I won't spend much time going over the case. There's plenty of information out there for those of you wishing to lurk. Look. Suffice it to say, three young boys never got to grow up, and three young men were convicted. Eccles was sentenced to die by lethal injection, while Baldwin and Miss Kelly were each sentenced to life in prison. The evidence? There was literally none presented against 16-year-old Baldwin, save his association with Eccles and hearsay. The only evidence against Miss Kelly was his obviously coerced confession, which, after hours of rehearsal time, still included many facts that were known at the time to be false. 18-year-old Eccles wore black, listened to heavy metal, and read horror novels. He had proclaimed himself Wiccan in a staunchly fundamentalist Christian town. He had changed his name to Damien, which police linked with the Omen, despite Eccles' assertion that he had chosen the name after Father Damien de Vester, the Catholic priest that nursed lepers on the island of Molokai. In court, the prosecution presented as evidence of his involvement in black t-shirts, artwork by Eliphas Levy, and Pusshead, which had been taken from a skater magazine, and a book about witchcraft he purchased from the library. Most tellingly, they also present, presented as proof of his involvement the fact that he had written Alistair Crowley's name while awaiting his trial. In light of the lack of real physical evidence, the few fragments the prosecution did have were highly inconclusive and circumstantial. They decided to play the satanic cult angle. The prosecution's, quote, occult expert, unquote, was Dr. Dale Griffiths, who received his Ph.D. from Columbia Pacific University, a non-accredited mail-order school that was forced to close in 2000 EV by the California Bureau for Private Post-Secondary and Vocational Education. After extensive questioning by the defense, Griffiths begrudgingly admitted on the stand that he hadn't taken a single class to earn his degree. Yet despite this, the judge allowed him to testify as an expert in the field after having denied Pulitzer Prize-winning Stanford-educated sociologist Dr. Richard Offshee's qualifications as an expert on false confessions. In fact, Dr. Offshee was mocked on the stand because he came from California. Griffiths supported his, the prosecution's claim that Eccles was the ringleader of a local cult of devil, teenage devil worshippers, taking as literal Crowley's famous chapter from Magic and Theory and Practice on the Bloody Sacrifice. The only truthful statement Griffiths made in court about Crowley was that he was from England. Nothing he said about the OTO was true. He referred to the order as the Ordo Temporis Originis in his pre-trial testimony, claimed that Crowley founded the infamous Solar Lodge and the SOTO, despite the fact that Crowley died long before the founding of either, and essentially stated for the court that the OTO is a murderous, child-abusing, satanic cult. Quote, Price. Okay, now, is the eight a factor because it is a witch's number? What is the significance of eight? Griffiths. Okay, in Crowley's, in Crowley's work, he discusses that uh, sex before eight or you lose the magical power. Price, sex before eight or lose magical power. Okay, so that if the victims were all eight years old, then that wouldn't be sex before eight, correct? Griffiths, I said eight, I'm sorry, not nine. Eight or before. Price, eight or before, excuse me. Now, is there a particular cult that um, supports that viewpoint? You said in Crowley's work. Griffiths, a cult group, yes. Price, and what a cult group is that? Griffiths, he has done a lot of writing which is synonymous with a group called OTO, or Ordo Temporis Originis. 
He also claimed that the manner in which the victims were bound wrist to ankles behind the backs of the genitals were displayed for abuse could be found in Crowley's work. Quote, Price. All right, but what you said, it's a factor, the manner in which the victims were tied. Where does this, where does, where's the research on this? Griffiths. Well, you could, you would, you would look in such books as Cer Ceremonial Magic by Crowley. And uh, then from working uh, in with that and looking at the way the people were displayed, uh, you know, there to me appeared to be no other reason for that type of position. And the jury believed him. The Arkansas Supreme Court upheld their convictions based in part on this man's testimony. Regardless whether one is convinced of their innocence, the fact that such unmitigated slander should be allowed as testimony in a court of law, much less without any reasonable challenge from the defense on this point, should horrify anyone. I began my correspondence with Damien Eccles after I spent the last several months of 2005 EV saturating myself in the details of his case. As an undergraduate in criminal justice at the University of Arkansas, my investigations class focused extensively on this heavily publicized case. After learning what a proper investigation looked like, I was appalled at the absolute lack of professionalism from the police and legal players involved. The evidence and lack thereof clearly suggests that the convicted men had nothing to do with the crime. If there were any real evidence, I wouldn't have bothered. I wouldn't have continued to study the case or to keep abreast of updates in the legal proceedings or give a damn about the well-being of the convicted. I would have gone on to work with the prison ministry without a second thought to any of them. Demented as my sense of humor may be at times, I don't like child killers any more than the next person. After completing the semester's studies, I read Damien's autobiography, written from death row, called Almost Home, My Life Story, Volume 1. I caught a surreptitious Crowley quote in one chapter. I noticed a preponderance of references to magic and mysticism in others. When I began my correspondence with him, guess what I discovered? I discovered a brother. Why is this important to Saul Invictus Oasis? It's important because this case and the injustice, bigotry, and prejudice it represents was the reason our body was founded in the first place. Soror Calix saw the horrors firsthand as the case progressed. If there had been an OTO body in Arkansas to stand up against what was happening in 1993 EV, would, have made, would it have made a difference? No one can say. But what we can say is this. We are here now. We are here because a teenage boy was sentenced to, to die because he had written Crowley's name on the same page as that of his newborn son. That teenage boy has become a man on death row. He has become a Buddhist monk. monk. He has married a lovely and well-respected architect. He has become an accomplished writer, artist, and now musician, penning lyrics for Pearl Jam and Michael Graves. He has become a friend of our oasis. His involvement with Soul Invictus Oasis has brought full circle the reason we came into being in the first place. Because of the nature of the crime for which he stands convicted, he has traditionally been very private about his spiritual beliefs. Knowing that the state of Arkansas would be combing over every detail in his book and letters for evidence of his involvement in a satanic cult, he chose to allow himself, quote, outed, unquote, as a Thelemite within our community at great personal risk. He chose to become registered with the OTO prison ministry. He's even donated to our oasis a portion of his personal library, books sent to him from supporters across the world, as that is the only practical way he has to contribute. And he has, in a, this short time, become very dear to us. As for the soul and Victi, our interest in the case has involved from simply wanting to see justice done to something much more personal. We don't want to see the state of Arkansas murder our friend and our brother. I don't want to see anyone have to give last rites in an execution chamber when there is no real evidence that Damien did anything more than be a, quote, freak, unquote, with an unfortunate first name 
in a frighteningly fundamentalist southern town in the group of in a grip of quote satanic panic unquote. So why is this important for the rest of us? I think that perhaps some magicians may not realize just how difficult it can be for those of us living in the Bible Belt and the places like it. Those of us living with the kinds of church-going folk that protest at gay soldiers' funerals, refuse to believe in the most basic tenets of science, and literally run witches out of town in some upgraded version of the torch and pitchfork routine. When people fail to stand up and defend what it is we do as magicians, when people fail to combat through light, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and power, the ignorance and falsehood that is arrayed against us, we leave open the possibility of things like this happening anew. We can't say that things like this couldn't happen in America today. They can. They did. They do. Every day. Damien was just fortunate enough to have his caught on HBO cameras. Throughout much of the nation, the satanic panic of the 1980s and 90s EV has all but vanished. Even Geraldo Rivera issued an apology for his part in contributing to the hysteria just months after his last show about devil worshippers featuring the West Memphis Three. Yet even today, a smattering of local of rural police departments continue to hold special training classes that circulate the kinds of ridiculous materials that would make Bob Larson or Jack Chick proud. Undoubtedly, defending our work has the potential to cause serious problems in one's own professional and personal life. My own sister has disowned me for being an unapologetic in my identity as a Thelemite. Sadly, even among the general pagan populace, we're often seen as outsiders, as evil, for being involved with that scary Crowley guy. Yet, if we're not willing to stand up and defend ourselves, who will? John Douglas and the release of the West Memphis Three. In February 2013, famed FBI profiler John Douglas published Law and Disorder, a book that discusses the case of the West Memphis Three in detail. His seventh book, written with Mark Olshaker, the book commits over 110 pages to the story of the West Memphis Three and recounts his own personal involvement in the West Memphis saga. The book begins with the topical discussion of the Salem Witch Trials of 1692, an event referred to by the West Memphis Three is similar to the abuses they endured in their own, quote, witch hunt, unquote. John Douglas first heard the case after receiving a call from Lori Davis, the spouse of Damien Eccles, in March 2006. He claimed to know nothing about the West Memphis Three murders before then. Davis told Douglas that powerful people in Hollywood are fans of yours and believe in the work you do. Would you look at the case, unquote. Douglas agreed and was hired by the defense team. He received a voluminous amount of case material for review, stating he wanted to base his analysis on the facts and would, quote, ultimately be working for the victims, unquote. Douglas claims to have acquainted himself with the particulars of the case. He acknowledged Eccles' strange embrace, quote, strange, quote, embrace of paganism, mysticism, and the occult. He became a Wiccan, unquote. Strangely, Douglas repeats the childishly simplistic, quote, they wore black and listened to heavy metal, unquote, canard, frequently used by the West Memphis Three and their supporters as the rationale for their arrest and conviction by Arkansas authorities. The reality of satanic crime. Douglas also claims that he could find no evidence of murders or related violence associated with Satanism. He writes, quote, when Anna and Alan Burgess, Robert Ressler, and I were putting together the crime classification manual nearly in the early 1990s, along with a large committee of specific subject experts, we delved deeply into the idea of satanic murder and related violence, but we didn't find any. When we published the second edition in 2006, there was no change, nor will there be any in the third edition we are currently preparing. 
unquote. I find this statement to be particularly disturbing. In my book, Abomination, I included voluminous amounts of evidence of specific murders in which Satanism, Satanism, occultism, or witchcraft were a motivating factor. Also, Douglas and his group conveniently narrow the scope of definition of satanic murder to, quote, murder committed by two or more individuals who rationally plan the crime whose primary motivation is to fulfill a prescribed satanic ritual calling for the murder, unquote. So if the murder is, murderer is a committed Satanist who believes murder is acceptable and acts on his beliefs, it would not be classified by the FBI as satanic murder because the person did not, quote, rationally plan, unquote, the murder to fulfill a prescribed ritual. Based upon their narrow, strained reasoning, if Richard Ramirez, a confirmed Satanist, randomly enters a house in Los Angeles, murders two people, and writes a pentagram in their blood on a wall, it's not a satanic murder because he lacked a rational plan and or did not include a ritual. This is so ludicrous, I find it hard to believe they committed this to writing. Douglas continues, quote, A pentagram left at a crime scene has no more made it a satanic crime than a Bible left at the scene made it a Christian. In either case, that was more an indicator of a disorganized offender with an unstable personality, unquote. My question would be, what ideas made that person unstable or disorganized? Douglas's discounts entirely the effect of the, of the occult and Satanism have upon the actions of certain murders, particularly the West Memphis Three. In addition, John Douglas, as well as Mara Leverett, author of Devil's Knot, refers to the FBI agent Ken Lanning's groundbreaking investigator's guide to allegations of ritual child abuse, which states that, quote, while there had always been a belief in a connection between Satanism and crime, it had no basis in fact, unquote. Let me repeat for emphasis. While there has had always been a belief in a connection between Satanism and crime, it has no basis in fact. If that is certain, then why was I able to include the following crimes influenced by Satanism in my book, Abomination? One, Ricky Casso, the Acid King. Two, Arroyo Grand, Satanic Murder of Elise Poller. Three, Fall River, Satanic Cult. Four, Bestie di Satana, Italy. Five, The Satanic Murders of Russia. Six, The Vampire Clan. Seven, The Hardy Boys. Eight, Adolfo Constanzo and the Matamoros Murders. And then nine, Beast of Satan Killers in Germany. The preceding list represents only a handful of, of the many murders influenced by Satanism. To me, the open failure of these FBI investigators to accept a correlation be, between Satanist occultist ideology and crime remains a dumbfounding mystery. John Douglas' failure to read. In Law and Disorder, John Douglas uncritically retreads almost every canard proffered by the West Memphis Three and their supporters. He covers the supposedly egregious first confession of Miss Kelly, and conveniently omits all the post-conviction confessions from his narrative and misstates the facts about occult involvement. He repeats the ridiculously simplistic statement that Eccles and Baldwin were selected for a witch trial because they were black and liked heavy metal, neglecting the evidence of Eccles' extreme mental disturbance and repeated threats to kill other members of the West Memphis Three community before the murders. Eventually, Douglas provided the defense with his completed analysis of the perpetrator, in my opinion, his analysis of the killer describes Eccles near perfectly. Quote, self-centered, egocentric, narcissistic. He resents people, but he does not avoid social situations. He looks at social situations as an opportunity to manipulate and use others for his own personal gain. He prefers to perpetrate crimes in close proximity to where he resides. Due to the brutality exhibited by the offender at the scene, it can be said with confidence 
that you will, he would have the reputation from past behavioral problems as having an unpredictable and extremely explosive and violent personality, unquote. Immediately after providing his profile, John Douglas then exhibits his ignorance of the West Memphis case by stating the following, quote, Damien and Jason had no indicative violence in their past, unquote. By making this statement, Douglas passes over the following statements made to West Memphis police during their investigation. One, Shane Divilbiss, who said that Eccles tried to scratch his eyes out. Two, Laura Maxwell, who said Eccles threatened to kill her brother and her parents. Three, Charter Hospital, who recorded that he has, quote, a history of extreme physical aggression towards others, unquote. Four, his own mother, who told the hospital that she was, quote, most concerned about his about son not learning to deal with anger and rages, unquote. Five, Damien Eccles, Eccles, who admitted to hospital workers in 1992 of a history of violence. Six, West Memphis police who charged him with terroristic threatening. Seven, Jennifer Lynn Ball, who told police Eccles went to her house and threatened to kill her. Joe Bartouche, who saw, who saw Eccles stomp a sick, to death a sick dog. Douglas then adds that another potential area of inquiry would be to investigate the Mayfair apartments near the murder scene, seemingly oblivious to the fact that Eccles lived there within two years of the murders that occurred on May 5th, 1993. He finishes the chapter with stunning obtuseness, quote, in sum, I found not one shred of evidence and nothing in the behavioral backgrounds of Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, or Jesse Miskelly Jr. to suggest that any were guilty of murder, unquote. My book, Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, provides ample amounts of evidence and specific facts about the behavior of the West Memphis Three that contradicts the preceding account of John Douglas. John Douglas in the Miscarriage of Justice in the West Memphis Three Murders. With his completed analysis and profile of the case pointing culpability away from the West Memphis Three, Douglas traveled to the city of West Memphis in 2007 to interview family members. Douglas met with Pamela Hobbs, mother of victim Stephen Branch, and imparted to her his theory of the case. Quote, By the time I left, Pam no longer believed the West Memphis Three were guilty of the murder of her son. Unquote. He also spoke to John Mark Byers, stepfather of victim Christopher Byers. By the, ton, the time he was done speaking with Byers, Douglas had convinced him that the West Memphis Three did not commit the crime. Douglas openly tells the reader that his involvement in the case led both Pamela Hobbs and John Mark Byers to change their opinion about the three teens convicted of the murders. By his admission, Douglas's reputation and his involvement in the case persuaded two of the parents to change their belief of guilt to innocence. The section about the West Memphis Three in John Douglas's book, Law and Disorder, represents a startling ignorance concerning the facts of the case. It's also surprising that a seemingly objective and seasoned investigator like Douglas would repeatedly refer to Eccles as a trusted source of information. Douglas fails to acknowledge the reality of satanically motivated crime, and in my opinion, his involvement contributed to the miscarriage of justice, which is the release of the West Memphis Three. What is not disclosed in the West Memphis narrative contained in the book Law and Disorders, how much John Douglas was paid for his involvement in the case from the estimated 10 to $20 million fund amassed by the supporters of the West Memphis Three. And then this is just a couple quotes from Eccles' kind of book, High Magic. And uh, this one's from Eddie Vecker, Eddie Vetter. He says, Damien explained his system to me. The markings were there to document the number of times he had completed his self-prescribed rituals, meditations, and energy work he used to protect himself against the negative energy of the people and place he was in. He was relentless. Knowing what a fragile state he was in the majority of the time, it is clear that these disciplines and practices played a key role in Damien being able to save his own life. It was survival. 
And the way this man took on that task required a mental toughness beyond what most of us can fathom. He read and studied. He studied. He ran in place for miles until his feet bled through his socks. He then meditated and read some more, all the while documenting. So that's from High Magic Spiritual Guide to the Spiritual Practices that Saved My Life on Death Row. And then this is another one. He states that uh, about the Golden Dawn. He says, quote, the only thing to read around our house were those cheap tabloids you see in line at the grocery store, the ones with headlines like Half Goat, Half Boy, Haunts, the Banks, the Mississippi. I felt dirty and degraded just looking at them. If you've ever picked one up, you know they have all these crazy ads on the back. And it was there that I came across an ad for a book on magic. Not just any book, but one that promised all the secrets of magic that had ever been recorded. I can't describe the impact that had on me as a kid. To find out that magic wasn't just something from a bygone age, that it wasn't an arcane art lost in the sands of time, filled me with an unusual sense of hope and excitement. Magic was out there in the world, and I could learn and practice it. That realization was like a bomb going off inside me. From that moment on, I pursued magic as if my life depended on it. And in fact, it did. And then later he says, so in the library, I began to study magic and learned about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, an organization devoted to the study of metaphysics and all sorts of occult topics. So that's the same group uh, Crowley went through. So there's some, there's some interesting things from that book. Uh, but those are just a couple quotes. And I'll read entirely what Dave McGowan sent to me back in the day. And this is, uh, it had to have been 2004? No. 2014. William, I planned on copying and pasting it here yesterday. My trend micro expired. I loaded a new one. Then I opened Word and retrieved the doc I had saved. This is when something happened that I've never seen happen before. I'm not all that computer literate. I just wanted to add that. But a small window popped up on my desktop with a message that my win word had been compromised by someone. And then my computer shut down. I've never seen that particular warning. And I do not know if it had anything to do with the new download of Internet Security. I've had my computer randomly shut down before, but always while I had been on Facebook, but not enough times that I can say definitely it was the cause. Because of the message box that had occurred before shutting down this time, let's say it unnerved me, so I called a computer tech friend to inquire of possibilities. He could not definitively answer it and said it was odd. After my computer restarted and I opened Word again, the file was still supposedly saved and in the same location, except when I tried to open it, it said the doc was corrupted. Have you ever heard anything similar to this as I'm a bit freaked out? especially because I have a blank load of other sensitive documents saved on this laptop computer. In a nutshell, the post I made was about three paragraphs long. I reiterated the initial portion, the support for the evidentiary documentation. I also agreed that Jesse had never told the complete truth and added that it was to protect a hierarchy within the West Memphis area cult, including its high priest. I went into the evidence a bit of the fact that quite a few residents interviewed had, acknowledged, had knowledge of satanic activity and that generally a satanic cult, after moving into an era, area, will begin a process of, of obtaining positions in the community, such as the police department and judicial system, civic positions, medical, and funeral parlor, for example. I then wrote that there was ample evidence that the West Memphis cult was most likely of the intergenerational variety based on the actions of Michael's mother and Jesse's father and Jesse and Michael themselves, i.e. psychiatric problems from a very early age and prone to violence, the sequence of torturing small bugs to lizards, etc., and graduating to small animals. In addition, the documentation referencing the violent tendencies of all three of the West Memphis Three. I added I was unsure if Jason was also intergenerational, but that it was highly unusual, yet not virtually impossible, that some initiates might not have been simply born into the cult. 
At this juncture is where I gave my opinion on why Jesse told the story that he told and why it was only partially true. I said he was truthful that he had received a phone call that day. I added that every member of the cult would also have received a phone call that day. I wrote the murders were not a random event and that it was a satanic ritual sacrifice that had been planned sometime in advance. I added that pictures of all three boys had been taken and cataloged early compliments of Michael Hutchison. I wrote that the high priest kept all the photographs and the catalog was probably buried or put away in a secure location. I also wrote that they were not the only youths photographed, but just happened to be unlucky enough to have made themselves available at an opportune time and most likely had been lured by someone they knew. I, I said, as I have previously, that other members were present. Jesse had gone over his complete confession with his father. Why was Michael Wayne Hutchison the sacrificial lamb for the cult? Because one of the supreme laws of a satanic cult is silence and secrecy. Yet the entire town, it seems, was aware of its presence. Not only that, but Michael continued to talk after the sacrifice. Jason was Michael's best bud. Jesse merely, merely then became the one also included who had a conscience. I can assure you, not a single cult member can truthfully say they have one. It was a simple matter of the additional planted knife in the lake behind Jason's house, etc. Water served to wash away the majority of the DNA evidence that would have implicated other members, and Michael was given the honor of urinating in the child's mouth, and that's it. I should add here that another position generally filled is that of a priest or pastor position in a church. The church is utilized during the week and Sundays for regular Christian service with regular parishioners. On satanic holidays, the crosses are all turned upside down and black masses held. It, appear, as, it appears as to West Memphis, this was most likely not the case, and altars were used in rural, abandoned houses, etc. Hard to really ascertain. Aquino was not aware of me previously, at least. I don't know, actually. Through my connection to the tentacles of the cult in Torrance and my knowledge of secrets I shouldn't know, because a member befriended me due to my reputation I'd acquired. They either attempted to initiate me or they were attempting to set me up to murder me. Fortunately, I'm intelligent enough and I was born with what only can be described as psychic abilities, and I believe I'm very fortunate to be here today. That is not to say they are not still aware of me, and unfortunately, they know exactly where I am. The last anonymous phone call was a few years ago, maybe 10. They phoned me claiming to be detectives concerning an abduction and possible murder I had knowledge on, and I simply said I didn't know S and I wasn't saying S. Police never call. They knock on the door and introduce themselves as a couple L.A. detectives had done previously concerning a portion of the same case from 1980. Enough on that, but I have remained more or less silent for my safety of my family for many years now, as at least one person who knows of my knowledge is still alive. So that was all Dave McGowan. Then this is the Climber Report. So you can go online and read this. I think it was taken, I think it was June... June 18th, 1993, after the arrest, and there's quotes from police, and Climber talks about things, so I'm going to do my best to kind of relate this. It's 12 pages long, but um, it is interesting, and he kind of it does implicate other people, just like Dave McGowan does. But let me just cue that up. It might be confusing, but uh, I think it's worth a read. So, there's two people involved. It's uh, Detective Brynridge, his name is B-R-Y-N, Ridge, and then there is Ricky J. Clymer. So uh, the intro starts. This is Detective Burn Ridge of the West Memphis Police Department, currently in Shelbyville, Tennessee, with Ricky Wallace, Ricky Don Wallace. Ricky, excuse me, 
Ricky Don Clymer. What is your birth date, Ricky? 1977. And then he says, okay, today's date is June 16th, 1993. Time is 12.20. Ricky, basically I'm conducting an investigation of a homicide of three eight-year-old boys in West Memphis that occurred on 5-5-93. You informed me that you had been in some activities with a Michael Wayne Eccles. You know him as Michael. We know him as Damien Eccles. Is that correct? Climber, yes. Ridge. Okay, you're also known to have been with the Jason Baldwin. Is that correct? And Jesse Miskelly. Is that all correct? Yes. Okay, you knew them approximately seven or eight years ago, up until about two years ago. Climber. You mean that I knew them two years ago? Oh, that's right. Ridge, is that what happened? Climber, yes. Okay, what did you know about them? Climber. I knew they were they were in the occult. Let's see. I knew they had raped some people. You know, they was they always you know they always made barn fires in the woods. I know that they jumped a cop, they cut, you know, they cut a pig's head off, you know, they put it on a porch. Uh Ridge, you're saying occult, you mean a satanic type occult? Climber, yeah, occult, satanic type. It's pretty much it's pretty much the same thing. Ridge. All right, you put a ton of graffito in some different places. Climber, yeah, you know. Ridge, okay, and some of the symbolism you showed me a few minutes ago was a pentagram. Climber, pentagram. Ridge, all right. Climber, where it changed and says a cult, you know. Ridge, okay. Climber, with the symbol being all black, you know it's supposed to be an upside-down cross. Look like somebody's hanging from it. Ridge, okay, so that is satanic symbolism? Yeah. Climber. Ridge, you've been with or present when that symbolism had been painted in different places. Climber, yes. Ridge, okay. And Damien or Michael and Jason and Jesse has been a part of that. Climber, yes. Okay, what other activities have you seen them do as far as, okay, when you have these barn fires or were animals killed? Climber, yeah. What kind of animals? Climber. You know, cats, dogs, you know, and this pig. You know this pig. We did that once. Ridge, okay, what's the purpose of the pig? You basically said, what, to intimidate somebody? Climber, yeah, to scare, to also show that death is on its way. Uh, Ridge, whose idea was that? Climber, whose? Ridge, yeah. Climber, mine. Ridge, it was your idea. Okay. Now, this intimidation, this is satanic occult intimidating people. It's trying to show you a power to do things to people, basically. Is that right? Climber, to show people that we have power. Ridge, okay. Climber, is that what you mean? Ridge, yeah, that's basically what it is, okay? You when you kill these cats or dogs, uh, you informed me a little while ago that you cooked the dogs and cooked the cats and ate part of the meat. Is that correct? Climber, yeah. Ridge, okay. Was that part of initiation or was that just something that was done? Climber, sometimes it was initiation. Sometimes it was just done, you know. Ridge, just part of this group activities. Climber, to eat cat meat, you know, sometimes get so screwed up is what you do. Was there a lot of drugs and stuff going on? Climber, hard drugs, yes. Ridge, what kind of drugs, basically? Uh, climber, marijuana, cocaine. Ridge, paint sniffing or anything like that that went on that you know about? Climber, it was, do you liquor or beer or drug? Ridge, alcohol. Climber, okay, all right. It was marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, gasoline, acid. Ridge, acid? Climber, acid. Uh, did anybody really just go crazy when this stuff was going on? Climber. Yeah, did anybody? Yeah, okay, uh... Who was like violent crazy or hallucinating crazy? What was really going on? Climber. Uh, you know, sometimes it'd be flat out violence, you know, getting in the fights and stuff. And then again, sometimes it would be like, you know, you're sitting there. Next thing you'll start thinking of some cartoon characters. Let's say the little guys in blue. Ridge. Smurfs? Climber. Yeah, Smurfs. Things like that. 
And the next thing you know, you'll all of a sudden someone will, someone will be running at you, and the Smurf has a heart on his arms, and he'll be running at you and stuff, you know. Ridge, okay. Climber. Stuff like that. You just start running around, you know. Ridge. Okay, one thing I was wondering about now, satanic occults and meetings and what have you, would, would Wednesday, was the day Wednesday have any specific meetings for an occult meeting or anything like that? Climber, Wednesday? Ridge, yeah. Climber, not. Ridge, would it be a regular meeting day or a day that would hold special meetings for satanic occults? Ridge, okay. Climber, you know. Ridge, it was like a calendar of special days involved in satanic occults. Climber, a calendar? Ridge, okay. Climber, okay, we would just say here, here, and there, here then. Ridge, now you mentioned some rapes of some people. That went on. Was this part of a ritual, or was this just an opportunity where they found a girl, or had sex with her, or they talked her into it, or was it something, somebody that they had abducted off the road and went and had sex with them? Climber, well, let's see, do you mean, Ridge, was it forced? Was it forced? Climber, not, was it forced? No, it wasn't forced. Ridge, all right, it was. Ridge, it was like consent, but uh, it was you would have ta to talk her into it, basically. Is that right? Climber, well, I don't know if you want to call it talking her into it. By getting her doped up and everything, she would just say yes. Ridge, okay. Climber, I don't know if you would call that talking her into it or not. Ridge, so get her drunk and doped up that she would no longer say no, basically, and then you'd have sex. Climber, yes. You don't call that rape, but there is a real fine line. I don't think that would be called rape, but I understand what you're saying. When... When you, that's rape, you don't think she consented, but she was so drunk she couldn't say no. Okay. You said jumped a cop one time. Was Jesse or James, Jason or Damien involved in that? Climber, yeah, Jason and Jesse. Ridge, Jason and Jesse? Okay, was there a reason, or you mentioned it, that at that time, the group were more or less had an attitude like the cops were taking things away from them or let them do things? Well, it's pretty much the attitude, you know. We did it because we just hated cops, you know. Ridge. That was the reason for that. You just, at that point, the group just hated cops and uh, Climber. Just to get down straight to the point, hate cops. Ridge, uh, the drugs that were done, were they done at somebody's house in particular? Or were they mostly done the time out in the opening woods and stuff like that? Climber, you know, not at the houses, sometimes out in the woods, sometimes in the automobiles. Ridge, okay. A lot of this activity took place at Lakeshore. You called Lakeshore, you call Lakeside, is that right? Climber, yeah, Lakeshore. Ridge, okay, in that area around the woods. Climber, you know, Marion and stuff like that. Ridge, any satanic ritual? Was that like eating this cat and stuff like that? Was that supposed to give a satanic ritual? Was it supposed to give them power or was it just something that was done as part of the group? Climber, uh. Ridge, what I'm trying to say, was there a reason that they would eat this meat or reasons they would do certain things? Was it supposed to give somebody power? Or was it just climber? I guess you would say it like, you know, let us eat this meat, you know, right here. They would eat it, start feeling real good and everything. I know when I know when we were real messed up, we never did this all sober or whatever. Ridge, basically it started with you being in the group between 9 and 10 years old. And you were more or less doing it with the group because you wanted to be part of this group, like peer pressure, you know. Climber, peer pressure. I don't know what it means, but I know I wanted to be with the group. I wanted to be like, wanted people to like me. I wanted to. Ridge, and you went along with whatever they did, just being part or wanting to be part of what they, they were doing. Climber, yeah, I wanted to be part. The next thing, it started to be a habit, you know? Ridge, and then it progressed. Climber, it, yeah, and it got worse and worse and worse. Ridge, what was about the worst thing you've ever done 
as far as for the group that you know about. Uh, the worst thing, I guess the way that I'm looking at now, everything that we did was bad. Ridge, it was all bad. Climber, yeah. Ridge, was it progressively getting worse? Climber, what do you mean, was it getting worse? Yeah, Ridge, yeah. Climber, it was getting worse. I know when I left, it was still getting worse. Ridge, you were the, about 14 when you got away from the group then, right? Climber, yeah, 14. I went, yeah, I was 14. And how old are you now? Climber, 16. Ridge, 16. So you've been away from the group about two years. Have you heard any more rumors about what kind of stuff they've been doing? Climber, have I heard any rumors? Ridge, or talked to any of them about what they've been doing since then? Climber, I've been in the Arkansas State Hospital, and you know I've been some other places. Ridge, okay, but you haven't kept up with what they've been doing. Climber, no. Ridge, all right, if you judge from what has been happening when you were there and how it was getting worse and the worst things that were happening, would you think that they were progressing to the point where they might have killed these three boys? Do you think that was progressing that way? Climber, do you mean, do you think that it was turned in that way? Ridge, yeah. Climber, yeah. Uh, I know it kept on getting worse and worse and worse. I know that. Ridge, you, uh, you mentioned a while ago that some of the meetings you heard different ones say they wanted to kill somebody. Okay, was Jason in that conversation at times? Michael or Jesse, any one of them, they were talking about how they wanted to kill somebody? Was it their reasons wanting to kill somebody? Was it because they were mad at them or was it because of this ritual type stuff? And what was the reasons they wanted to kill somebody? Climber, the reasons is because they were mad at them, you know, mad at them doing it for fun. You know, stuff like that. Ridge, do you think that they were ever worried about being caught by the police doing these things? Climber, I think they was. They just didn't show it. Ridge, okay. Climber, so it wasn't, you know, like I've always said, it wasn't never would. Deep inside I was. Ridge, can you maybe think of anything else that I need to add or maybe weren't covered? They killed animals. They eat part of the meat from cats, dogs. Do you know of them eating meat from the dogs? Climber, dogs. I can't. Dogs, yeah. Climber. Any other animals that they eat in parts of? Climber, not that I can think of. <coughs> Ridge, okay, uh, anything else that you can think of that we need to know about this group? I mean, are they just violent? Do you think they could be violent? Climber, yeah, I know when I left they were pretty violent. They were abusive. Ridge, okay, at that period of time two years ago, okay, Climber, they probably was getting worse because I was getting worse when I wasn't around them. Okay, Climber, and when I was around them, I was getting even worse worst my mother used to talk to me bridge do you think that these boys are capable of killing these three boys three kids three eight-year-olds climber they were capable ridge uh okay did they ever discuss plans of how they would have killed somebody if they were to kill them climber have they ever discussed a plan how to ridge yeah you know like these three boys if they decided we're going to kill somebody and they decided this is who they're going to kill have they ever discussed with you or talked with you about how, how they would have killed somebody Climber, and how they got away with it. Ridge, yeah. Climber, yeah. All right, how would they have tried to got away with it? Climber. Uh, try, I believe they pretty much did. Uh, you know, shoot somebody, picked up their shells, you know. Ridge. So they would cover all their tracks. They would make sure they wouldn't leave anything in order that they might be able to trace it back to them. Climber. And, you know, you had to be, you can't be nervous either. You know, you can't panic. You, you know they were discussing. You shoot them, stay calm. You know, look over yourself. You make sure that this... And the next thing you know, they would have gotten caught. Ridge, so basically you're saying if they're going to do it, they're going to keep their heads about them and they're going to cover up everything and make sure they aren't going to leave anything caught. That's what you're saying. And they have discussed that with you. That's the way they would have done it. Climber, yeah, discuss some things. 
how they would get away with it. Yeah. Have you ever, have they ever told you of actually hurting somebody when that you weren't there? Climber. Yeah. Then when they told you about this actually hurting somebody, did they tell you who they hurt? No. Did they tell you where they did it? Climber. Where? Ridge. Yeah. Climber. Yeah. Out in the woods. Ridge. Out in the woods. Okay. How were they supposed to have hurt that person that they told you about? How they hurt them? Ridge. Yeah. Uh, you know. Ridge. Basically, you're telling me they hurt somebody. You're not there, but you're not admitting it. Not really. Did they tell you at any time they actually killed somebody else? Okay. Have they told you that they may have killed somebody else? Do you know where that took place? Climber Project? Ridge. In the project. Climber. Yeah, and then all the other times I was with them. Ridge. Okay, now in the projects one time, they told you that they actually killed somebody. Do you know what the circumstances were that they killed somebody? Climber. Oh, why, are they, why they did it? Ridge. Yeah. Climber, because over bloods, you know that's a gang, uh, you know stuff like that. Okay, did they tell you how they killed that person? How, Climber? Yeah. Climber, you know, stabbed or shot them, you know, different things. But they tell you that stuff. Do you believe it when they told it to you? Climber, yeah, I believe it because I know how crazy they are when I was around them. Yeah, I believe them. Okay, about when did that occur? About when? Ridge, it was back in 1989, 1990, I believe. I know it was some years back. Okay, you were, you were there when they killed when they killed somebody in the past, but it was basically because I guess this occult, satanic occult, and the Bloods didn't get along. They had a conflict between the groups. Climber, uh, cults are crips, you know. So some cult people are crips, you know. They are sorts of like together. Ridge, yeah. Climber, you know, you know, and stuff like that. And Bloods, crips have attitudes about them, and every time you see them, they just blow, you know. And the cult are pretty much crazy too, you know. As long Ridge. So they told you in the past that they've killed somebody, and it was like 89 or 90. Climber, somewhere up and around there. It might have been longer. I'm not really sure. It might have been shorter. Ridge, okay, and this is Michael, Jamie, and Damien, Jesse, and Jason that are telling you about this. Climber, yes. Ridge, okay. Climber, and some other guys. Ridge, some other people too. Okay. I'm going to conclude this interview unless you can think of anything else you can tell me about. Uh, that's cold activities, basically eating of animals, building barn fires, drawing a lot of different structures. On like railroad passes, streets and stuff. Have you taken part in all of that, Climber? Yes. It's been, and it's been with these three boys, Michael, Jason, and Jesse, and some others. And you don't want to get anybody else implicated or anybody else involved, but you know that these three boys and that they were part of it, Climber. Yes. All right. That's basically. Unless you have anything else to add, that's just strictly it. Climber. Oh, you know, I'm being partial. Um, what I see and would like to see, you know, that just for me, you see, I know for a fact. That if they go to prison or whatever, they're going to learn how to get worse. Ridge, they're going to learn how to get worse. Climber, they're going to get worse, you know. Learn how to use knives a thousand and many times different and stuff like that. I'm used to I used to listen to it all. They go to a program like an awareness or something that could help them. Ridge, okay, do you think they would torture somebody before they would kill them? Or do you think that they would go up and kill them? Climber, torture. You get a thrill out of torture. Ridge, okay. Climber, you get a thrill out of torturing you also get a thrill out of all of a sudden bingo, but torture is the main thing. Ridge, torture is the main thing. It's all part of the satanic type stuff. Okay, all right. I'm going to conclude the interview. The time is 12.41.